upon your servant, Lord, this morning, and he opened the eyes of the hearts of the people that receive it. In Jesus' name, have we said? Amen. Amen. Now, we have a lot of verses we're going to start out with. You can follow along on the screen, or you can uh, find it in your Bible in John 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 38. I think that's the most verses I've ever read at one time. So I don't know whether that's good or bad. <laughs> if I went through it by verse by verse, we'd probably be here a week, but I won't. <laughs> so anyway, John 1, excuse me, 9, starting in verse 1. As we went along, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus knew he had been blind from birth. Nobody had to tell him because he had that knowledge because he was God. He was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a lot of questions we answered or asked today, isn't it? Why are they dealing with these things? And if we look at his word, he gives them the answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is his day, Man, I'm having a hard time not stopping on these verses, but I can't, or we won't get, or I won't get through it. We must do the works of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After this, He spit on the ground, made some mud with a saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, He told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now, how then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is the man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Yeah, I was blind. I didn't see him till afterwards. The Pharisees investigated the healing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had seen had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Next slide. Verse 15. Therefore the Pharisees, who also asked him how he had received his sight, he put mud on my eyes, the man said, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said to this man, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such miracles? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, excuse me, he said, it was your eyes that opened, and turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say were born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or open his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Next slide. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? He did he, he, how did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples, we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Do this, they replied. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have, now been, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. <coughs> There's so many things in those verses that, man, I had a hard time just breathing past them. But I wanted to get the overview <coughs> of the story. Now, when someone who's been born blind or has surgery, because we have some technology today they didn't have back then uh, that they can do <coughs> cornea transplants and other things that they can do that can restore sight to the blind. And they even have a new thing they're coming out with for you know handicapped people, those, what do you call them, those bead, what do they call those big heavy glass things that they have to look through and it makes everything look like it's real. Yeah, virtual reality glasses, and they put those on people, and then they just go crazy because of the fact that they can, how amazing everything is. So if, if you've ever, <coughs> if they've been healed after they've, especially if they're born blind, when they have their sight restored, they can't, all, they can't understand what they're seeing. Now they all, they see, they have the ability to see, but they don't understand what they're seeing. And, uh, and if you've ever been in a dark cave, how many have ever been in a dark cave? Mount Timnogus or whatever. Anyway, you go up there and they turn off the lights and it's pitch black and you can, can't even see your hand this far in front of your face. And so, you know, if you've been there, they turn the light out and you find out how disoriented you are because we need light in order to uh, be oriented to, to our surroundings. And uh, so after you've been in that dark, quiet cave and you come out into the bright sunlight, it takes you a while for your eyes to adjust. I hate these glasses sometimes because they change dark in the, in the sun. Then you come back in, and it takes a while for them to change back to the color so you can see. So I'll, sometimes if I'm just going outside to do something, I'll take them off because it takes too long for the glasses to change back. So, but that's kind of like what happens to people who receive their sight. It takes them a while to be able to understand what they're seeing. They see a tree. They wouldn't know what it was because they didn't never seen a tree before. They don't know what it is. You could point them out, this is a tree, and say, this is a car, and they wouldn't know the difference. And uh, <coughs> if you set a, <coughs> excuse me, a two-year-old down and you know, put a Bible on their lap, <coughs> they would just sit there and look at it and tear out the pages or whatever <coughs> because the words mean absolutely nothing to them. Excuse me. <coughs> Allergies this morning are really bad. <laughs> And uh, so they don't understand what they're seeing because the words are meaningless until they be able to learn to read. And uh, that takes time. Now, there are some people who have received their sight can never overcome the obstacle of being able to see. Uh, everything is so overwhelming to them that they don't want to see anymore. They just, I, I can't imagine that. But that has been the case in some, some instances. So I don't know what they do for those people, whether they wear blindfolds or whatever they do so they can't see. I know these friends of ours, uh, <coughs> uh, this lady that uh, her mother was deaf. And they had, when the technology came up, because sometimes for certain people they can uh, put things in their ears so they can hear. And they did that for her, and it scared her to death. She just did not want anything to do with that. She was terrified. So she finally had them take the things out because she'd rather be deaf because hearing was too overwhelming for her. It's just amazing, isn't it, that some people are like that. But we live in a world of, of people that uh, have a hard time with certain things. Now, this guy, some people that receive their sight who can't overcome it, they have everything they need to see, don't they? But they don't see. Now, the same thing is true in the spiritual sense. God has revealed everything we need to know to have our spiritual eyes open. And yet we can't comprehend it, or we don't receive it, or whatever. So we just kind of ignore it. 
a lot in a lot of cases. Now that blind man in this verse, not only there was actually three miracles that happened in those verses. We think he just opened the eyes of the blind. Well, that's great. But he not only opened his eyes, he opened his eyes and then gave him understanding of what he was seeing. And then he opened his spiritual eyes. So there's three things that, that, that are miracles in those verses that we have a, we kind of just brought, oh, he just healed the blind man. And there are some people that believe, and I, I'm kind of one of them, that the reason he spit on the ground and made mud is that he didn't have any eyeballs. So he had to make eyeballs out of the mud and put them on his eyes. And I like that because it was God who made man out of the dust of the earth with his hands. He didn't speak man into existence. He actually got involved in it. He went down and formed it in the mud, and then he breathed life into it. And so I really like this aspect of it because he is the creator of all things. So he can do whatever he wants. And I know that uh, Jesus performed miracles in different ways because otherwise... Everybody said, oh, you can't be healed. You want, your, you want to be healed from your blindness? Come over here, and I'll spit on the ground, and I'll put mud on it, and that'll take care of it. And we'll have the church of the mud people. <laughs> Others, they go and do this and do that, and, and it creates so many uh, differences. And so Jesus did things in different ways, so we couldn't focus on the, the procedure, but on the one that was doing it. And so I think that's why he did it. Whether he did or not, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. No, I probably won't because it doesn't matter because that's what I believe now. And I, I, I think that I'm pretty accurate in that because we would make a religion out of everything. You look throughout the Bible and you find out that people made religion out of a lot of things. They worshiped that uh, serpent on the cross in the Old Testament. Remember when the, <clears throat> the people were rebellion? Uh, Brother Andy was talking about Korah and the people that rebelled, and they, the earth swallowed them up. Well, the very next day, they were doing the same thing, so he sent serpents to bite them. See, when we get rebellion with God, God doesn't like that at all. And he sometimes does things to get us out of it. When your kids are in rebellion, when they're little, what do you do? You slap it out of them. On the butt, on the butt, on the butt. That's how we got to dealt with our kids. We can either tolerate it or we can do something about it. Now, God will do something about it because he don't want rebellious kids. And parents, we don't want rebellious kids. There are too many people that let their kids rule the roost. I'll tell you, I take care, I, I go to places and I say, man, just give me, give me an hour with those kids. And they'll toe the line when I'm there. I don't really have to even spank them to do it. Sometimes you just look at them. Give them a look. Like I said, I broke my kids of bad habits, not by slapping them sometimes, but by spraying them with water. I told you before that when, when uh, Sheldon was a baby, <coughs> his older brother Jason used to bite him. So his arms were covered with bite marks. <coughs> and so I thought, well, okay, you want to bite him? I'm going to bite you back. So I bit him. So his arms were covered with bite marks. <clears throat> I'd probably be thrown in jail for child abuse. But nothing worked until I thought, aha. Uh -huh. So I always had a water near. And when he started biting him, I'd just throw it in his face. And go, <gasps> <clears throat> <clears throat> but it broke him. Only took, took a couple times to do that, but it broke him. We do that with our dogs. They bark and bark and bark. Of course, our dogs are, you know, Barkers, but our youngest dog has, I guess it's allergies, and so if she gets excited or barks, then she kind of gags because she can't breathe. And so I, we started squirting them. Now if they're barking, all I have to do is pick up that bottle, and they know what it means, and they stop. Sometimes all I shall get the last bark, and then it's like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> so no matter what they are, we are built with rebellion in us. But only God can knock it out of us. Now, I don't want God to send a serpent, but if that's what needs to happen, I'll take it. <laughs> but anyway, these people that were bit, the only way that they could be healed is if they looked at this serpent on a cross. 
And that was to remind us or a foreshadow of Jesus dying on the cross for us. And instead of just doing that, they started worshiping that thing. So when it outlived its usefulness, they put it up and started worshiping it. If you find later in the Bible, you'll find out that, I don't know whether it was Hezekiah or, or one of the kings, he broke, he destroyed that thing. So he'd been around for an awful long time, then these people were worshiping it. That's why God didn't want certain things done in a certain way. I know that people travel the world going to this evangelist or that evangelist for healing. And then, you know, I'm great, you know, that's great. I'm glad that, you know, people get healed under uh, people's ministries. I'm not against that at all. But see, their faith isn't in the healer. It's in the guy doing the praying. And that isn't God's will. The same God that heals there is the same God that's here. It doesn't matter who prays for you when our faith is in God. doesn't matter how elegant the prayer is. It's God who does the healing. And we have to remember that. That's why we don't get into a certain mechanism. I know that God told us if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders. There is a process that he's provided for that. And it wasn't stay home and gripe because you're homesick and and said, man, those people don't even care that I'm sick. They won't even come here and pray for me. Well, guess what? We have to know about it. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that God tells me everything that's going on in people's lives. He does sometimes, but not always. So if you're homesick, don't sit home and stew. Use the phone. Use your cell phone. You can have a cell phone everywhere you go. That's what we need to do. And don't have faith in the person that prays for you. Have faith in the God who heals. You can be healed at home. Like I said, you can have your uh, family members anoint you with oil and pray for you as long as they're believers. There's the catch. They have to be believers. So they can pray for you just as easy as we can. But we will pray for you, but we have to know. So, but the same thing that prevents the people from having uh, physical or sight that was around this, saw this miracle, there was a reason that they didn't believe. And these are the same reasons we don't believe today that, that prevents us from having our own eyes open. The first thing that keeps us, some people from spiritual sight is a private, ingen- a private agenda. John 9, 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Now Jesus was always in conflict with the religious leaders. The Sadducees and Pharisees, man, they hated Jesus. Why? Because he drew big crowds. And he had a lot of people following him, and they didn't like that. They hated it. They were stealing their congregation. Jesus wasn't stealing anybody's congregation. Jesus was part of the congregation. Long before he became a rabbi, he was raised in the knowledge, just as as any other Jewish boy was. He had to do certain things that he had to do before he could become a man. He had to know, be able to quote the first five books of the Bible without any errors when they were 12 or 13. If you remember when his parents took Jesus to um, Jerusalem and he got lost, or they got lost because they didn't thought he was with his family members and he wasn't, and they went back and found him in the temple talking to the elders, and they were amazed at his knowledge at that young age. Well, they had to go there for his bar mitzvah, which was a great celebration, and they were amazed at his teaching. Because he didn't need to know it because he wrote it. It's easy to memorize something that you know or wrote. I've I've written songs and poems and uh, the ones that I've recorded in that, I memorize the words. I know what they are because I wrote them. So it's, it's easier for me to memorize them. So it was easy for God on his bar mitzvah to have no problem with the first five books of the Bible. He could have quoted all of it. He even could have quoted the New Testament before it was written. 
because he knew what it was going to be. He knew who his disciples were from the beginning of time. He knew each one of us was going to get saved and when we would and what it was going to take for us to get saved. When I pray for a loved one, I pray, God, do whatever it takes for them to accept you because God has different ways to lead us along the road towards salvation. And so a lot of times it's because bad stuff happens. So if bad stuff's happening in our lives or our family member's life, pray that they will, these circumstances will be used to lead them to God or lead them to draw closer to God. If you're in the circumstances, you might as well get something out of it. I don't want to waste a bad circumstance because I don't want to go through it again. If we flunk a test, we have to go back and do it over again. If you flunk a test in school, they don't just say, well, that's okay because you're such a little darling. We just love you to death. It's okay. No, you'll get flunked and you have to take it over again. Steph knows all about that now, don't you? Yeah, she's right in the middle of the test. Got one more to go, right? And she has to study for it. So if it doesn't, they don't, just don't pat her on the head and say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You're God's little darling. Well, you don't even have to take the test because we like you so much. Don't happen that way. But in order to win, we have to be in the battle. Now, they wanted to discredit Jesus no matter what it took. And we have a lot of people who are like that today. Some churches think that they're the only one that has the truth, just like these Pharisees did. Oh, you have to follow us because we're the only ones that God speaks through. And some churches are like that. We're the only ones. Now, the minute they say they're the only ones, you know that's the wrong church because it has nothing to do with the name on the door. It has to do with the God that we serve. And I know there's a lot of uh, churches that we cannot follow because of their doctrine. When anything goes against God's word, you can't go there. That's the reality of it. So, uh, but only God is the truth. Now, their own agenda blinded their eyes and prevented them from seeing. Jesus had just healed this blind man. And instead of saying, praise God, man, this guy is healed because God healed him. They didn't get excited about that. They got mad at Jesus for doing it. And the only reason that they could find against him because of something good that he had just done was he did it on the Sabbath. How dare him? And they decided that healing somebody on the Sabbath was a sin. Now, Jesus is the one that wrote the Ten Commandments. See, but these Pharisees and Sadducees, they took those Ten Commandments and made 700 and something of them. And yet, they, and in those commandments, they made loopholes for themselves. They decided, well, what is work? Well, work is if you walk so far away from your house. And if you exceed that many steps, it's work. And we'll stone you. But see, they left a, a loophole there because all they had to do at that step was build a house. Now it's their house. So now they can go to that house that many steps, and then they can go over here that many steps and still be okay. But the regular people couldn't do that because they didn't have the money. They had a hard time making ends meet with one house, let alone two. But they had so many rules and regulations just to keep the people under bondage. And the people didn't know better. Remember, they didn't have their own Bible. They had to go to the synagogue, and they would read the Bible to them. That's the only way that they got to hear God's word. Now, the rabbis and the teachers, they had different things. They had to know the Bible. And they were the ones that uh, were to teach the people. But they took it so far away from what God had intended. See, it was okay for them to do certain things if their um, animal fell in a ditch. It was okay for them to get him out of the ditch. <clears throat> that wasn't work. So they had so many loopholes in there. And what they considered work was law, because after all, they wrote the law. <clears throat> now, God is serious about the Sabbath. I'm not saying that. He's serious about keeping it holy. Now, what does that mean? That's between you and God. 
because he'll tell you what you need to do on the Sabbath, the same as he'll tell me. And remember, we're under grace, we're not under the law. He came to fulfill the law for us. And I'm glad of that, because I have a hard time with the original ten, let alone the 700 and some odd ones that the Pharisees come up with. I don't tell anybody, I don't attempt to tell you, unless this Bible says it's sin, that's between you and God. Now, I can kind of guide you in certain areas because I have to got, you know, I have to pray about my own life. Is this a sin if I do this? Is this a sin if I do that? And sometimes when you do something, you'll know instantly if you're serving God because he will tell you. So we don't have to worry about those things because we're under grace and the God who wrote the law lives within us through the power of his Holy Spirit and he will teach us all things. Not some things, he will teach us all things. Those all things, what are those all things? All the things we need to know in this world. But we have to be willing to listen. <clears throat> now their agenda is clearly laid out when they tell the man, we know this man is a sinner. He couldn't do anything good because we know he's a sinner. They didn't tell him how they knew that. They just told him he's a sinner. I'm the one that writes the law. I'm the one that tells you what you can do and what you can't do. So I'm telling you, this man's a sinner. I don't know what they expect him to do. Give up his sight? <laughs> there ain't no way he would have done that. George Tarkelbaum, a 51-year-old proofreader, employed at the New York firm for 30 years, apparently had a heart attack in the open plan office. He shared with 23 others, but nobody noticed until Saturday morning when a janitor asked why he was still working during the weekend. His boss, Elliot Wachihachi, I think the Bible names are bad. These are just as bad. George was always the first guy in in the morning and the last to leave at night, so no one found it unusual that he was in the same position all that time and didn't say anything. He was absorbed in his work and kept to himself. An autopsy revealed that he had been dead for five days after suffering a heart attack. Ironically, he was proofreading manuscripts of medical textbooks when he died. <clears throat> now, I don't know why. It's bad enough they didn't notice him. You'd think they'd smell him. I don't know. Maybe they're like me. Some places where you go to work. I used to work at one place, and some of the people from other countries worked there, and the stuff that they ate... Sometimes, you know, I'd smell it and it was just, you know, wasn't very good to me. And so maybe that's what happened there is why they, they didn't know the guy was dead after five days. 23 people never noticed that he was dead for five days. That to me is just amazing, but it's a true story. So, so how often do we miss the truth that's right in front of us because we're so absorbed in our own lives. How often is God whispering to us in our circumstances, and yet we're too busy to listen? How often have we decided what's important instead of asking God what's important to him? We probably do that a lot more than we will admit if we evaluated the day. At the end of the day, if you evaluate your day, you'll probably find sometimes in, in that, during that day that you were Worried about your own agenda than God's agenda. Now, I know that's God's will for us to work, so that isn't saying that, oh, oh, I worked, and that isn't God's agenda, because it is God's agenda. God wants us to work. He told us to work. It's good for us to work. The problem that we have today is, the, is we have too much time on our hands sometimes. Our kids, growing up, they have too much time on their hands. They aren't forced to do work like I was and like we, for, we had our kids do. They don't do anything except sit on their butts and watch TV and play video games. <clears throat> the parents need to kick them outside and tell them to go play. Take their toys away. Then maybe they won't be so lazy. Then they grow up and they don't want to work. They stay in their parents forever. Don't even work and their parents support them. No, 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 no. Not in my house. When we moved to... Um, <clears throat> Colorado, when Randy got transferred there, our oldest son still lived with us. <clears throat> and uh, he asked us, uh, when we leave, and I said, well, you're not going. 
what? I'm not going? I said, nope, you're not going. You're going to find a place to live because you're not going. And he was heartbroken, and he hated us. I don't know how long he hated us because of that. But it ended up being a good thing because he grew up, and then he found out, found a girl that he fell in love with that he wouldn't have found staying at the house because he didn't go anywhere. All he wanted to do was stay home and go to work when he had to. Of course, we made him pay rent. Parents, you need to make your kids pay rent or they'll live with you forever. If you don't have to pay, if you don't make them pay rent, we'll come and live with you for free. We'll sell everything we got and come and live with you. That'd be, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But we made our kids pay rent, and we made them pay $300 a head. And that was a lot of money back then. It's probably like six, $700 now. And they said, we don't want to pay it. I said, move. We wanted them to move. We didn't want them to stay home. But man, it was great for them. They got their, you know, boarding room. They got their clothes washed and ironed. Man, it was a good, good thing, deal for them. But eventually they got out. <coughs> but this, uh, <coughs> anyway, the second way we're blinded spiritually is by assumptions. John 9, 28 and 29. Then the man, then they hurled, okay, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know what God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not even know where he comes from. They tell the former blind man, hey, man, we've got all the answers. we got everything figured out. You don't know nothing. We're the disciples of Moses. In actuality, talking to this guy proved they weren't because Moses talked about Jesus. Jesus was talked about throughout the whole Bible. And they should have known who he was. They said, we do not know where he came from. Well, they should have known if they knew God's word because he's talked about and intertwined through the whole Bible. So they should have known. But they didn't want to be bothered by the fact that Jesus performed a miracle. How dare he screw up all, screw up my church and everything by performing a miracle. How dare him? Now we have a world that says, don't bother me with the facts. I already have my mind made up. Have you met people like that? I meet them all day long when I'm out talking to people. I'll tell you, they don't want you messing up their theology with the truth. You try to talk to them, you even show them in God's word, but they won't receive it because they got their mind made up. All we can do is pray that God will open their eyes. Of course, prayer is the best thing we can do, but it's usually the last thing we do. So if you've got somebody that's, that's so bullheaded that you're trying to talk to, pray for them. Take the opportunities you get, but pray for them. And God may make them meaner than a snake because he's dealing with them. So if they get mean or worse, say, thank you, Jesus, he's working. I've seen it too many times, and that's the, that's the reality. For centuries, people believed that Aristotle was right when he said that the heavier an object, the faster it would fall to earth. Aristotle was regarded as the greatest thinker of all time and couldn't be wrong. Anyone could have taken two objects, one heavy and one light, and dropped them from a great height to see whether or not the heavier ob object landed first. But no one did until nearly 2,000 years after Aristotle's death. In 1589, Galileo summoned the learned professors to the base of a leaning tower of Pisa. Then he went to the top and pushed off a 10-pound and a 1-pound weight. Both landed at the same time. The power of belief was so strong, however, that the professors denied their eyesight. They continued to say that Aristotle was right. Many people are blinded by what they believe they know, whether it's true or not. has nothing to do with that. Just like these men in the Middle Ages, they believe what they want. Don't bother me with the facts. I got my mind made up. I don't care what I see. Doesn't matter. Now, I know that in our day and age, eyes can be deceiving because of all the things that they do with uh, computers and stuff. But that kind of thing could not be done when you're right there. Could have been. 
But they didn't bother with that. They didn't care because they had their mind made up. And we live in a world like that. And too many people believe or know they're a good person. And so they believe that good people go to heaven. Now, many of us have a head knowledge about God. Especially in this area, you'll probably, it'll be hard for you to find somebody that hasn't heard about God. They believe that God, yeah, God created the world, and Jesus came and died on a cross for our sins because we couldn't save ourselves. They know that. They've heard it throughout their lives in some cases. And at Christmas time, we see all the Christmas things going on in the churches and things that people come for. So they know it here. But the problem is, unless they know it here, they don't know it. We have to have a heart knowledge of God, not a head knowledge. There's so many people that's going to miss heaven by the 10 or 11 inches, the distance it is from here to here. And it has to be in our heart. If it isn't in our heart, we're not saved. I don't care what we know. You can know whatever you want to know. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but that doesn't mean believing it makes it true. I can believe that this box here has legs and walks. Doesn't matter. Whether I believe it or not, it doesn't make it so. Now, we believe God's word, and we, we can believe as fact the things that God said. But we can't believe as fact what people say. If it doesn't line up with God's word, don't be misled. It has to be in our heart, not our head. Your sermon, my sermon just got 20 minutes longer, shorter. Maybe. That's a first. Never done that before. Drop my notes for you who are listening to it on a CD. Now, the third way we are blinded spiritually is by pride. Now, that's one of the worst things that we have, and we all have it. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we have pride in our lives, and God hates pride. I mean, there's a difference in being proud of your kids and pride. Pride, pride is basically kind of self-exalting. So if we're proud of our kids because it makes us feel better about ourselves, then that isn't good. But we want to be proud about our, of our kids uh, because of their accomplishments and because we love them. Not so it'll make us look good. Of course, you know, we all do like to make, have our kids make us proud, don't we? <laughs> John 9, 30 and 34. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Then jumping to verse 34. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The Pharisees were so convinced about their superiority to even consider that Jesus might be who he claimed to be. They were never going to receive it. Now, I know that there were some Pharisees that did believe in God or Christ and who he was. Of course, we know uh, Nicodemus and uh, Josephus, who, Josephus, my mind just went blank. The other guy that come and helped take him off the cross. He's not up there helping me. So, Anyway, so there were some Pharisees that believed in Christ because they searched the scriptures and found out he was who he said he was. But they were the social elite, the religious leaders, and their pride blinded them so badly they couldn't even rejoice in the miracle. Now that's bad. And sometimes we do that. When something happens to uh, some people that we work with and they get a promotion and we don't, um, we get mad at them and we hate them, dislike them intensely, because we think that should have been our promotion. So we can't even be happy about the people that got the promotion. Well, these Pharisees couldn't even rejoice in a miracle, a great miracle for somebody in their congregation, because they were jealous and prideful. Not only does pride come before a fall, but it can prevent us from being lifted up. And pride makes it difficult for us to admit that we need the Lord's help. A lot of people won't call and ask for help because of pride. We have some uh, friends that have a hard time sometimes asking for help, even though they have uh, physical problems in their lives that prevent them from doing a lot of things. 
and it's hard for them to ask for help. And I understand that because, you know, when you live your whole life doing things and being able to do things to depend on someone else is hard. I know I find out in my own life because of my limits that I have. It's frustrating because you know you used to could do something. Some of us good English or not, but you used to could do something, and now you can't, and it's frustrating. And sometimes it makes you angry because your mind thinks you can still do it. And then you go out there and you try to do it and you can't. And it's hard. And it's hard to ask someone for help because of pride. 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 9b. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now we think we're strong, but that's the pride talking. Pride won't make us stronger, it will just isolate us from others. We need to depend on God. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when we're uh, won't admit our weakness, we can't be strong, get our strength from God to get through it. If we're too prideful, because we're, some of us are too proud to even ask God. And we shouldn't be. God wa- loves us, and he wants us to, to be happy and successful. But see, we just don't come to God because we're full of pride. And when we're weak, we should look and say, man, this is an opportunity for me to get stronger. And we're going through a problem in our life, it makes us stronger. We are uh, who we are because of the things that we've been through. I told you last week, my, I have my twin sister and I, we lived in the same house, same parents, same brothers, same everything. And yet we're completely different <coughs> because of the choices we made. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, that's a, it, sometimes it's amazing, the differences that we have. And, I'm, and sometimes I'll say, man, are you really my sister? Because we are so different. We don't even look alike. Of course, we're fraternal twins, not maternal twins, so we don't. But I think even if we did, we're still different people. We're different individuals, and we react to things differently. And if we react in weakness by calling out to God and asking him to help us, he will strengthen us. He will give us the strength we need. But if we say, you know, God, I'm tired of this stuff, and I'm not talking to you anymore because I'm mad at you because I'm going through this trial, we will be weak. We will remain weak because we only get our strength from him, not from our own efforts. John 9, 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. The blind man received physical healing and understanding what he saw. And he tells the Pharisees, look, I don't claim to know anything about theology. I don't claim to know anything. You know more than I do about a lot of things in life. But one thing I do know, I woke up this morning blind, but now I see. They could not say anything against that. Now, people may have their theology, but we have an experience. And an experience trumps theology. Because God just loves to go against some people's theology. And that's what we have. As believers, we have an experience. And that experience can get you through the tough times. Doesn't matter what we're going through. All we have to do is sit there and think back of where we used to be and what God did for us and how we got where we are. And that experience will push us through to the finish line. We have to remember our experience. A person with an experience beats what anybody says. It beats somebody with a testimony. Some people say, I believe this is true because this is is the only church. And they mutter off, mutter these things that they're programmed to say. And I can say, you know, all I can say is I used to be a sinner. I used to live this way. I used to do these things. But now, this is who I am. And they have nothing to say against that. I'd rather have an experience than a theology. Any day of the week. Because a theology isn't going to get you through a tough times. 
Now, God is truth. His word is true. And we need to read his word, and we need to study it, and we need to talk to him. We need to come to church. We need to fellowship with one another because of those things are important. Not because if you don't do them, you'll go to hell. We need to do them because it makes us stronger. And the stronger we are, the easier it is to get through the tough times. People that isolate themselves from the church when they're going through problems, sooner or later, their whole life's going to be screwed up. They'll quit praying. They'll quit reading God's word. And the more they do that, the weaker they get spiritually. So we need to remember on those times, we just need to remember our experience, where we were, and look at our past, and the things that you've seen in your life, the things that you know that you know. Now, only believers understand that. I know what, that I know, because God put the know inside of me, and he confirms it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will quicken our hearts, and he will quicken our understanding so we don't have to walk around aimlessly. We have a purpose. God has a purpose for our life, and we don't have to be satisfied with the same things the world is satisfied with. The world is in turmoil. I mean, we're on the verge of war. And when you think about everything that's going on in this world and actually dwell on it, you'd be scared to death. But see, I know that I know that I don't have to worry about it because God's in control. And I know what the Bible says about what's going on. And it's lining right up with what God said was going to happen. So we shouldn't be surprised. But we have to read God's word to know it's there. And people, when they're sitting there and in turmoil about everything that's going on, we can run around peace in our hearts and they can say, what's the matter with you? Don't you know all this stuff's going on? I said, yeah, but God's in control. I don't have to worry about it because God told me I don't have to worry about it. He gives me peace in my heart, so it doesn't matter. I don't care if bombs are falling. I don't care whether nuclear bombs are falling. It doesn't matter what that Korean idiot says. I am going to send a nuclear bomb and I'm going to take you all out. Really, said the ant to the person. That's what a problem is to God. Just don't worry about it. It's nothing, just a little dot. And people that don't know God, they're very bragging. And that's what he is. He's a bragging idiot. But we have a testimony. Now, being thrown out of the, of the synagogue was a big deal because every Jewish person's life was resolved, revolved around the synagogue. So when they were thrown out, that was a big deal. You lost a lot of people that you know and were friends with because of it. So it was a big deal. Nowadays, you know, they throw you out of the church. That's okay, I'll just go to a different one. But I don't think anybody will ever be thrown out of a real Christian church. Can't be excommunicated from this church. It's impossible. Doesn't matter. It's impossible to be excommunicated. Some people can from other churches. But you can't from this church because this isn't, our church is God's church. So if they want to, they have to take it up with God, and he don't kick anybody out. He says, let them come. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. I don't care how much sin you have in your life, you're welcome here. Because it's God's church, it's not mine. And it doesn't matter whether I know people are living in sin and they come to this church. Because God will deal with them. Now if they come to me and ask me about something specific, I can talk to them. I don't have a problem with that. But everyone is welcome here. I don't care what their lifestyle is because it's God's church. And they hated Jesus because he, he fellowshiped with sinners and tax collectors and used to be whores, harlots. They were his friends because he cleaned them up. Now, they didn't continue to sin <laughs> after they met Jesus. Once you meet Jesus, it's really hard to sin. Because he deals with you. Now sometimes it takes a while to get all that stuff out of your life because some of us have spent a lot of time sinning. And we have a lot of sin to clean up or let God clean up. Sometimes God takes everything away at once, but I wasn't that person. I had to deal with it and struggle through things, and I still struggle through things. I'll tell you, there's sometimes I'll get a whiff of a cigarette and I want one. 
No, man, it wouldn't matter because if I smoked one now, I'd get sick. I'd be sick for a week. But I'll get a whiff of one once sometimes, and I'll be like, oh, man, I just like to have a cigarette. And I'll tell Randy sometimes, you smell cigarettes? <laughs> Somebody's smoking somewhere, and it's, it's being blown into the house. <laughs> sometimes sin smells so good as a believer, doesn't it? Think, oh, it's not a big deal. I can do that. Oh, yeah, you can. But you're going to have to repent of it afterwards. And God will deal with you. Because then that's rebellion. If you know to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So we'll be miserable until we confess it. So just don't do it. It's easier. (laughs) Now, this experience prepared him for his next encounter with Christ. John 9, 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he, when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Remember, the blind man had not, did not see Jesus. He was blind. When he left him, he was blind to wash in the pool of Siloam. He was blind, so he didn't see Jesus. He wouldn't have known him from anybody. And he says, Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. He had an open heart. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now we know that only God can be worshiped. If we're worshiping somebody, it better be God. We can't even worship angels. He says, you don't even worship angels. Angels are just different kind of servants of God than we are. They're in a different realm. We're only allowed to worship God, not any man, not anything, not a sports hero, not a new car, not a new house. No one. The only ones we're allowed to worship is God. And Jesus right here was telling the man, I am God. And what was his reaction? Oh, no, you're not God. The Pharisees had you. No, he worshiped him. Because then he knew him. It quickened his heart. His heart got changed. He got physical healing. His eyes were open. He got the understanding to know what he was seeing. And he had his spiritual eyes opened. But his heart was ready to receive the revelation. A lot of people aren't ready to receive the revelation of God. That's why we have to pray for him. And we continue to pray for him. And we say what we can. And allow our life experience to speak for itself. Because people that used to know me wouldn't believe that I'm preaching. It would be something that they would think was out of the realm of possibility. And I'm amazed myself. So I would come up here looking out. I'm going, really? How would I get here? <laughs> but the, bad, the good thing about life experiences, they're good testimonies to other people. Because I guarantee you, whatever you're going through in your life today, someone has gone through it. And if we don't come to church, we won't have that person to encourage us. We're here to be encouraged. I want to encourage you this morning. If you need healing, I want to tell you that God is the healer. He still heals today. He does it in different ways. I can't say that everybody gets prayed for is going to be healed instantly. But I can pray to the one who can heal instantly. And you might be healed instantly. It might be a process. I don't know. That's between God. That's up to God. I can't dictate that. All we can do is do what he told us to do and let him do what he needs to do. That's all we can do. My faith is in God, not in a prayer that I can say or a prayer you can say. He was ready to trust him at that point. We can only perceive 30% of the range rays of the sun's light and 170th of the spectrum of electromagnetic energy. Many animals exceed our abilities. Bats detect in- insects by sonar. I don't need to do that. There, I detect them by bites. But uh, pigeons navigate by man- magnetic fields. Bloodhounds perceive a world of smell unavailable to us. In his book, Seeing the Invisible God, Philip Yancey suggests that the spiritual or unseen world requires an inbuilt sense of set of senses activated only through some sort of spiritual awakening. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, said Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Both expressions point to a different level of comprehension available only to a person who is spiritually alive. Only Christ could open our eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that song we sang this morning. We need to pray that. We need to sing that. Memorize that song because it's a good prayer. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see, that I may understand what I'm seeing, that I may understand your will for my life, that I may understand everything that you want me to do. Only God can do that. Only God can open our eyes to see it. There's a story in the Old Testament about Elijah, and they were surrounded by the enemy. I think it was Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. I get those two mixed up sometimes. But anyway, his servant come, and so Elijah, he said, look, pray, 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 we're going to die. And he said, don't worry about it. There's more for us than there are against us. And he said, what are you talking about? Have you looked outside? Have you looked? And he just said a prayer, Lord, open his eyes. And God opened his eyes, and he could see thousands and thousands and thousands of the angelic host around them. And then he had to fear anymore. One angel killed 185,000 of the enemy at one time. God isn't limited by our own things. God isn't limited by a gun. When he comes back, to rule and reign over this world, he's going to kill the enemy just with the word of his mouth. We're going to come with him. He says we're going to believe he's going to come and take us home at the rapture, but yet we're going to return with him, riding on horses. Susie says, amen. They're going to be white horses. There aren't going to be any black horses. <laughs> oh, anyway, Jesus is going to be riding on a white horse. And he's going to take care of this mess, and he's going to clean it up, and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this world. And we're going to reign with him. Hallelujah! We don't have to worry about anything. One day, we are going to rule. What part are you going to rule? I don't know. I don't know where I rule. I don't care. I just want to be a part of it, don't you? Man, I'm excited about that. So when things are bad... And I look around this world, and I get excited. Not because of the things that are going on. It's because it's one day closer to heaven. One day closer to him. Hallelujah. That's a great and exciting time, isn't it? So don't worry about what's going on. When you get afraid, just say, God, I'm afraid. Take away my fear. And he will quicken your heart. He said, fear not. He's always saying, fear not. And he's, that's his message today. Fear not. I am in control. And we sit there and when the armies are gathering around Israel, we get excited because no one will destroy Israel. No one. If God has to send his own bomb, he'll do it. So when they start gathering around Israel to beat them up or take back the land, I get excited. All right, hallelujah, it's close, it's close. So that's the good thing about watching the news. And I'll tell you, it's happening. It's lighting up. Now, I don't know what happened. I personally believe that Trump gave us a reprieve because he believes in religious freedom and he's bringing back our freedoms that we have lost and doing away with all this political crap, this political correctness stuff. I'm sick of it. And he's doing away with it. So I think we're getting a reprieve. And I'm thankful about that. And pray for him. I meant the liberals hate him. The world hates him. They don't like anybody that wants to do good. They don't like you either, and they don't like me. Doesn't matter. And we're, we're having our own countries being torn up by fools and idiots. Free speech is under attack. They can't even, we can't even have people go to the university that founded free speech without being threatened, and they have to cancel it because there's so much violence around it. See, it's okay if liberals can say something, but conservatives can't because they refuse to accept it. 
They've got their minds made up, so don't bother them with the facts. You don't have a right to speak unless you say what I want you to say. That's their theology. So we need to pray for this nation, we need to pray for our leaders, and we need to pray for each other. Because time is short. I've been saying that for all my life. Time is short. And I'm excited about it. I'm not worried and concerned about it. I'm excited about it because pretty soon we're going home. This could be our last day on earth, and that's fine with me. I'm ready to go home. You know, aren't you tired of all the garbage in this world? I am. I want to say, God, hurry up. Save those people so we can go home. Because he's not going to go home. We can't go home until that one person, that last person, except Christ. And I don't know who that is. But God's going to do everything he can to save somebody. And if it means for us to be at war to save that person, he'll do it. I don't care. If it means saving my loved ones, God, send a war. If it means a fire, Lord, send a fire. Whatever it takes, Lord, to save my loved ones, do it. Because when problems happen in your family that isn't saved, what do they do? They call us and ask us to pray for them, don't they? Why? Because they don't have a God in heaven. We do. <laughs> Our Father. They have a, there's a God in heaven, but he's not their God until they accept him. So they have to call us to pray for us. Pray for them. And I'm excited about that. So don't 